Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Well, good morning, Graceland. I love this church. I love your pastor. I love Jess and the kids, and it's an honor to be here. So let me tell you, I don't dumb down music. We just... uh, we just teach it wrong. Um, and uh, what we're doing every day at Regent as we build this program, we'll be launching in the fall of 24 with our first class. And every day we're committing musical heresy by stripping down the traditional approach. This is an experiment I like to do sometimes when I go to places. If you are here and you have ever taken a piano lesson, would you raise your hand? All right, so I'm going to guess, I don't know, what do you think? Maybe 75 people? I'll say it's 75, okay? Now, if you are here and you studied piano and you consider yourself a proficient piano player, that is to say, I could put a piece of music in it in front of you, in front of everyone here, and you would be totally comfortable playing that piece of music for everyone, raise your hand. Yeah, whatever. You don't really count because you, you've done this. And, uh, did you take regular piano? Okay, so you're, then you're not a part of this. All right, so if you consider yourself a proficient piano player, raise your hand. Am I seeing correctly that there are no hands? Okay, so that means out of 75 people who took lessons... Approximately none of you (laughs) learned to play the piano. And yet somehow that's the method, that's the vehicle we've chosen for teaching music. If you had a brain tumor and the surgeon I was recommending, his last 75 patients had died under the knife, you probably wouldn't go. Um... The way we approach music, the way we teach it is positively absurd. Uh, And it doesn't need to be dumbed down. It needs to be rearranged. We have to teach it in a different sequence. The, The sequence that we choose to teach music in almost guarantees failure. In fact, you could say that the classical method for teaching piano, based on evidence here, is really primarily successful at discouraging anyone from playing the piano. That feels uh, like the opposite goal to me. So anyway, so I'm excited about what we're doing at Regent. We're taking a whole different approach to things. So if you're a high school uh, uh, junior or senior and you're interested in music, come see me. We will hook you up. It is very, very exciting what's happening at Regent. So uh, I don't know, this is second service, so we got a little more flexibility. Um, during worship, the Lord began speaking to me and giving me words for people. What, I, I'm inclined to deliver those publicly, um, but if, for the sake of time, if you prefer that I do it privately, I can do that. Okay, I would love to do this publicly. So if this is new for you, uh, we believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to people and that he can, he can place words on the heart of somebody for someone in particular. 
The, the, the Bible name for this gift is prophecy. Um, prophecy really is not about predicting the future. Um, uh, prophecy is about speaking the word of the Lord. Um, and that's what the prophets did. And then in the Old Testament, sometimes that was predictive, but not usually. Um, so, but, but as, I, as we were worshiping, the Lord began dropping some things in my heart for your worship team. So I'd, I'd like to deliver those words publicly since they're serving the church. And uh, what I would love is if, uh, if Nathan, if you and um, Brandon would, uh, would, would just sort of lay hands on the shoulders of who I'm speaking to. So um, you'll have to forgive me. I don't know your names. Uh, I just know what you play or whatever. And so I was making notes so that I wouldn't forget. Um, is, the, is the worship leader in here? James, would you come up here, brother? Is, is that your wife? Would you come with him? And I promise I won't embarrass you any more than I just did. Hi there. Nice to meet you, by the way. Wonderful job this morning. Thank you so much for, for serving. Um, if you guys would just, just place a hand on their shoulders. Um, as you're worshiping, the Lord began to speak to, to, to my heart. How about you, Jason? James, James. The first thing that came to my heart was the phrase, unfinished business. There are things in your life that are unresolved. It's like a suspended cord. Um, they're, not, they're not bad things and nothing here is your fault, but there are things that the Lord wants to button up and that need to be buttoned up before he re releases you fully into the thing that he's called you for. And uh, there, there are things that are not mysterious to you. Uh, he didn't reveal them to me, but, but you, you'll know and in some ways, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like uh, a rocket that's getting ready to launch, and and they have to scrub the launch, they have to delay the launch because they find a defect in the heat shield or whatever. And of course, there's disappointment. Um, but if they launched anyway, it would destroy the whole mission. And so there there are ways in which God has gifted you and called you. And those gifts and those callings are not just in your hearts, but they've been affirmed by people around you and for a long time. Um, and the delay of those to really like launch out has at times been a question, uh, caused you to question yourself, maybe even produce some frustration or some curiosity about you know, what's going on. But what the Lord wants to say is that uh, he's, he's holding you for a season of resolution. He's, go, he's gonna tie up some loose ends in your life. And, uh, and, and then he's going to release you into the things that he's called you to, that he's spoken to you. There are things he's revealed to you that you've even been reluctant to discuss publicly because they feel like maybe egotistical or whatever, but they come from a sincere place. And the Lord wants you to know he really has revealed those to you. His hand is really on you. Uh, there really is an anointing on you. Uh, and, and in two respects, he said to me, this, this young man is an anointed Levite, that, you are, that there's an anointing on you to lead people into worship. 
Um, it's not just leading songs. There's something about when you do it that breaks down walls for people and God becomes accessible in ways he wasn't before you started leading. And then the second thing was that he's called you to be a psalmist, um, that there's a significant writing gift in you. And, uh, and, and, and in fact, you've been writing all along, but no public display of that. And here's what he wants you to know, that King David's psalms were never heard while he was alive. And yet today they're feeding people all over the world and have been for generations. And what the Lord wants you to know is that you are called as a psalmist and, and you cannot use the, the, the popular impact of that as, as a unit of measure. You just stay in the secret place. You keep writing and ministering to him and he's going to use those gifts to tear down walls just like he told you he would do. Everything he ever said to you is true and he intends to bring it to pass. Your motivation needs to come from the secret place, not the public place. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for my brother. I bless him. I bless his wife. God, I bless the calling that you've placed on his life. In Jesus' name, as a body of Christ, we affirm that calling. God, I pray for speedy resolution to loose ends, um, that, that, you would, that you would button up unresolved relationships or uh, residual conflict or or unresolved pain in him so that he's not dealing with that in a way, way that exposes him uh, when you release him into a broader ministry. And in the meantime, Lord, I just call on this house to cherish his gift, to nurture it, to give he and his wife a safe place um, to explore their gifting and to receive from you. And we bless this brother and his family in Jesus' name. Amen. Is the guy who played electric guitar here? Is he in the room? Yeah, come on up, bro. By the way, um, is this being recorded? Could you have someone transcribe this stuff and get it to these guys? Yeah. Chris, hey, I'm Gary. So nice to meet you, man. Thanks for ministering this morning. As we were worshiping, this is what the Lord laid on my heart for you. You know that you belong here musically. Uh, your, your gifts have made room for you. But I think there might be some internal wrestling as to whether or not you belong here spiritually. Your, your path to this moment has been circuitous and tough. There are aspects of your story that you would prefer to edit out. And in fact, when you tell your story, there are things you often don't share because you wish they didn't exist. And those things sometimes make you doubt whether or not you belong on a stage leading worship. And the Lord wants you to know you do. The path that Christ walked was filled with some pretty ugly stuff trail in the garden, the arrest, pulling out his beard, spitting on him, flogging him to death. We would rather turn away from that. It's really ugly to look at. But those elements make the story so much more beautiful. And God is painting something beautiful with your life, bro. But to paint beautiful pictures, you, you have to use some dark colors. And those things in your past actually make 
what God is doing in your life today more brilliant and more beautiful. That's why Paul said, I would much more therefore glory in or boast in my weakness. Because in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. Secondly, and I felt this really strongly, and I'm going to say this to you, I'm going to say this to to Nathan. Um, Tell me your name again. Chris. Chris needs a mentor. He needs a brother in his life to walk alongside him and to pour into him and invest in him. This guy is, is, is going to be uh, a mover and shaker in the kingdom. And, and I, would, I would commission you guys to, to treat him that way, to, to find someone that he can relate to, to put his arm around him and, uh, and guide him, an older guy or whatever. Uh, I think you'll really benefit from that. And uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of healing can flow from just having a relationship where you can be honest and, uh, and talk about what's going on. Does this, any of this resonate with you? Okay, okay, good. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for my brother. And God, I don't thank you for just the good parts of his story. I thank you for every aspect of his story. And, and Lord, I, you know, he may have come to you uh, later on. But you didn't come to him later on. You've been there every step of the way, at every juncture. There are times, and I really sense this in the spirit, there are times he saved your life so that you could come to know him. He was there all along. So, Father, I bless this brother. I pray that you would affirm to him his place here in this church, on this team. God, I pray that you would release him into greater anointing musically and spiritually. And, uh, and I bless my brother in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Um, acoustic guitar guy. Hey there. Samuel. Hey, brother. I'm Gary. So nice to meet you. So this one's a bit more obtuse. Sometimes the Lord will give me stuff that I, I don't even really know fully what it means. Um, but hopefully you will. And, uh, and if you don't, if this doesn't resonate, hopefully it won't do any harm. All right. The Lord would want me to tell you that he's heard you. You've been crying out. There are some things are regular themes and you're crying out to the Lord. One that was really strong to me is that you have musical aspirations. And I don't know exactly what this is, but uh, my sense was that you, that you have been praying regularly for greater like technical facility, that you, there are things you want to do that you're not able to do, um, uh, instruments that you want to play that you're not able to. And that's been a matter of ongoing prayer for you. And the Lord says he's heard you and he's going to usher you into greater musicality, greater proficiency. And that it really is not just a question of hard work. Of course, there's work, you gotta practice. But there really is a release in the spirit that comes as you surrender yourself as a musician to him and invite him into your practice. And you like things like praying over your instrument and praying for the right teachers and the right opportunities uh, the Lord hears you, and he's going to release you into those things. You're a spiritual musician, 
And the Lord wants you to know that when you play music, you break chains. And you should view your ministry as as much personal as it is as it is public. Like obviously we we benefited from the public use of that gift, and I'm grateful for that. But there's also a personal, private use of this. And I, in, in case you're unaware, I want you to know that there is a significant anointing when you begin making music. And it doesn't have anything to do with how good you sing or how good you play. It's just the calling of God on your life. And so um, he's calling you to play over people. So in hospitals, people who are drowning in grief, people are, who are in hospice, people who are suffering in their physical bodies, you'll take your guitar, you'll go into the room, and it's like, like David when he sang for Saul, like the evil spirits that left him. And there, there is a very particular anointing of that, and it, it rests on you. And so you should deploy that at every opportunity. And you shouldn't be reluctant or shy or feel like, oh, this would be egotistical of me to say to someone, can I bring my guitar and sing over you? Can I come sing for you? Like you would, in the natural, you'd be reluctant to do that because that's not your personality and you're not looking for a bunch of attention. But, but there is significant deliverance in your musical gift. Finally, there's another matter that you've been calling out to God for, and it's personal, and it's not for public display or public consumption, but the Lord hears that as well. Um, and he wants you to know that as you walk in obedience in your gifting, and I almost feel like there's a connectedness here between these two, but as you're obedient in ministry, as you're taking your guitar into places and ministering to people, it will open doors to this other relational cry of your heart. And these two things are bound up together. It's almost like, it's almost like the anointing that he's placed on you will be the thing that attracts people to you. And the ones who are attracted to you are the ones you want in your circle, if that makes any sense. So Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for Samuel. I thank you for the gift on his life, the anointing on his life. Thank you that he's chosen to be here at Graceland and to use his gift to minister to this incredible body of Christ. Lord, satisfy the desires of his heart. Meet him at his heart's cry. God, it's, it's, there is such a purity in the things he's crying out for. He really, this is a guy that with no selfish ambition in his prayers, he really wants you manifested in his life. He wants you satisfied with the work of his hands and the, 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 his musical product. So God, hear that and satisfy the longings of his heart. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would release musical giftings in him that he's never known before. God, that you would escalate his technical facility both on the guitar, on piano, on bass, on drums. Would you, are these all instruments you play or aspire to play? All right. So Father, I pray that you would um, expand all of those things. Give him absolute mastery. Lord, if there is any anointing in me, let it flow through to Samuel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, bro. Thanks for being patient, everybody. I know this is taking some time, but this is really powerful ministry to these individuals. Um, vocalist. Oh, Hi.
Is, is that your husband? Would you come with your wife? That'd be great. Hi, Whitney. I'm Gary. It's nice to meet you. Hey, Michael. How you doing? Good, good. So, Whitney, this is really straightforward. Um, as I was praying for you, I saw a puzzle piece hanging over your head. And the Lord said, um, my daughter feels like a puzzle piece that can't find its fit. That really across your life, you've gone to different places and sometimes the fit has been forced um, and sometimes it didn't fit at all. And it's left you feeling like, you know, where, where's my place? I'm not quite of this and I'm not quite of that and I don't fit that mold and I don't fit this mold. And here's what the Lord wants you to know. You're not supposed to fit. Because in, in every scenario where you've tried to make that work, you've been, you've been putting yourself into somebody else's puzzle. And you're not a piece in somebody else's puzzle. You're a standalone. You're, you're a fit in his puzzle. And so that means that in the natural, sometimes you'll look around and say, oh my gosh, you know, what is going on? Or what am I doing wrong? Or where am I supposed to go? But the Lord has a place for you. And in his scheme, you fit perfectly. Um, God is calling you into a season of internal rest where he, where he finally lays to death the inner doubt and the inner questioning that has really in some ways crippled you. Um, but the Lord, the Lord wants you to know that as you lay down expectations of other people and other people's puzzles, that it will bring you into a season of peace uh, in him. And then you will see your gifts blossom in a way you didn't know was possible. Everything in your life will flourish. Your marriage will flourish. Your children will flourish because that peace will flow down into every aspect of your life. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for Whitney. I thank you for her family, God. I'm so grateful for this family and what you're doing. And I pray a baptism of peace over her in Jesus' name. I pray that you would set uh, her striving heart at ease. And even though it sounds a little weird, that you would, you would help her to be content with not quite fitting anybody else's mold. Um, God, I pray that you would... Uh, that you would strengthen her, that her gifts would blossom and bloom in this house, and uh, that that peace would trickle down. Uh, the, I, I really, I sincerely believe that the impact of this word will redound through generations, um, as will failure to find this peace will we'll have a similar impact. And so I just speak peace over this family. I'm grateful for them, and I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Of course, God bless you. Thanks, bro. Okay, last one. Skylar and Jason. You're going to have to leave the board, hon. Now, full disclosure, I know Skylar and Jason. We're, we're kind of besties, really. They came through uh, a few months ago to Regent University. Uh, these guys um, uh, are he's production manager and sound person for Sanctus Real, and we brought them in concert. 
and then we got to connect and it was just it was beautiful and uh, so i love these guys very much if you don't know skylar and jason do yourself a favor take them to lunch after church one day or whatever they are they are great people so um so i had a vision of uh, of you guys in a in a in a hot serengeti desert with a with a like a rock hard cracked parched floor scalding sun um and it's uh it was it's a tough place um and the despair of the wilderness doesn't come necessarily from the heat or lack of food and water it comes from uh a sense of directionlessness like everywhere you look you see the same thing not sure which way to head and if you choose to go left or right will that take you deeper into the wilderness or will it take you to a place uh, that's better than that and not knowing is the greatest despair of all um, but here's what the Lord says a cool this is exactly what he said a cool breeze is building in the plains and will be coming from the south and he said this several times and i don't know the significance of south but you should mark it down cool breeze is coming from the south and it's going to bring to both of you an incredible season of refreshing god has seen your obedience an obedience that has come at great price um, you literally stepped away from certainty into uncertainty. Uh, you chose to obey when disobeying would have been far easier. And God sees that. And he is going to honor that. Faithfulness in the secret place will produce faithfulness in the public place and God will honor it. When your faithfulness becomes primarily a public function, that is the danger zone. I also wanted to, I felt this very strongly as well, that there is with success, uh, success is laced with danger. And I, I wanted to tell you that I feel like it's really essential that you prioritize your spiritual connection as a couple at all costs. Um, opportunities to surge forward professionally, but that carry a separation for extended periods of time and threaten your relationship will be a trap of the enemy. Um, the enemy knows how much power flows from you two in unity and in spiritual connectedness and he has designs on breaking that down. Um, your relationship is going to be like the tree in Psalm 1 that's planted by rivers of living water, produces shade and food for other people. A place of, you know, like literally people will come and sit in the shade of this relationship and they will feed and they will have rest and anything that's that productive and fruitful the enemy has a bullseye on so really guard 
the uniqueness and the beauty of your relationship. And, uh, and get ready because winds of refreshing are getting, to blow, getting ready to blow you away. And uh, it's gonna be really thrilling to see, to be on the harvest side of obedience because you've been on the sowing side and he's getting ready to bring you into the harvest side and it's going to be awesome. So Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these two. I thank you for their gifts and their talents. I thank you for their heart for you. God, I thank you that they found each other, uh, that in your providence, you brought them together and you sealed their relationship. Now God, watch over them. I pray even this week as they get ready to go on tour that you would go with them you would help them to navigate the, you know, tensions of the road and other people and production deadlines and wrong backline and wrong gear and all the, you know, all the things and uh, give them joy in the midst of that. And uh, we speak a blessing over these two. Um, God, and I pray that you would, even in these, even in these early days of their marriage, that you would drive the roots deep, deep into the ground. Um, and I bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Well, guys, thanks for indulging me on that. I appreciate it. Um, I know it took some time, but uh, I think it's worth it. And the, uh, the heavy lifting that uh, these worship team members do, it's, it would be difficult to assess how significant it is in the life of the church. So, um, all right, so uh, yeah, my name is, is Gary Spell. I'm from Virginia Beach. I have a wife and two kids. I'll tell you more about them tonight. Um, but they are, uh, are really jealous that I get to be here with you guys. They would love to be here. But my wife tells me that their combined temperatures this morning could boil water. So they stayed in Virginia Beach. You can pray for them. <clears throat> um, so I want to talk to you this morning about the stewardship of listening. Uh, we're going to be together for the next uh, you know, two or three days. And, um, and you're going to hear an awful lot of teaching. And I think, uh, I think it's a good idea to start with uh, assessing how we listen. And uh, I want to start in 1 Kings. Um, in chapters 18 and 19, there's a story of Elijah, the prophet. You probably are familiar with it. He had sort of a showdown on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And uh, he prevailed. The prophets of Baal were defeated. Um, but he really ticked off the queen. Uh, There's a lady named Jezebel, and she put a price on his head, and he got afraid, and he went on the run. And he ran for days and days and days, and he stopped and slept, and then he got up and ran for days and days and days. And he finds himself in a cave, hiding out, uh, really praying for death. He was really, really, uh, really under it. Um, and then this event happens in chapter 19, verse 11. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So... God, in his wisdom, has chosen to make the most subtle means of communication uh, the way that he speaks to us. Uh, he speaks in whispers quite often. 
Um, he's ordained it so that those would, who would hear his voice must tune their ears and be faithful stewards of what they hear. Why would God make it so difficult for us to hear him? Why would it be so challenging? I mean, you would think like if, if you're sitting here and you're saying, God, I want to know your will, that, you know, he would just speak very clearly and he would make it very plain. Uh, that's the way I would do it. Um, fortunately for all of us, I am not God, but that's how I would do it if I were God. I would, you know, use a megaphone or I'd do skywriting and I'd let everybody know that I exist so that everybody would believe. And, but God has chosen to do it differently. God seems to believe that his word is so valuable that he wants to bury it, to hide it, so that it only gets found by people who want to find it, by people who want, are searching for it, by people who by diligence and application um, go after his revelation. Proverbs 25.2 says this, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. So he doesn't just throw revelation like birdseed out and whoever wants some gets some. No, he hides it so that we have to search it out. And this is exactly the topic Jesus is teaching about in Luke chapter eight, when he tells us probably the most popular parable uh, in all the Bible, uh, the parable of the sower. And here's how that parable be begins. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. And some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. And other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil and came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears, let them hear. His disciples asked him what the parable meant. And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see, and though hearing, they may not understand. He said, let him who has ears hear. This is a phrase that Jesus is quoted as saying 14 times across the four gospels. And depending on your translation, you'll get different versions of it. Uh, to, uh, to him who has ears, let him hear. Uh, be careful how you listen. Um, there are a lot, lots of different renderings, but the idea is that you have to devote energy and focus to hearing the voice of the Lord. This is an important command because Jesus understood our sinful tendencies as humans in the realm of hearing. We are selfish people and we have very particular frames of reference, very particular lenses that we view things through. And so it makes it difficult to communicate to us. We are not naturally good listeners. And Jesus understood that. First of all, we, uh, we tend to hear what we want to hear. Uh, have you ever had the experience where you had a meeting with somebody or a business meeting or a conference with a teacher or whatever, and then days later it comes back to you what they thought you said that was completely not what God said. It was not what they just completely heard what they wanted to hear. They got the version of things they wanted to get, and you're like, how could this have gotten so misconstrued? 
I think my favorite illustration of this is from that uh, paragon of artistic achievement, uh, Dumb and Dumber. And uh, do we have this clip working? Let's check this out. We kind of hear what we want to hear. And then notice Jesus wraps up that verse by saying, though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. So Jesus says, don't just look, see. And don't just hear, listen. So this whole parable is a parable about listening. So the the disciples ask him to explain the parable, and he begins, verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So let me just pause there for a second. I think the church at large has had their pockets picked on the topic of the word of God. Um, when When you hear Jesus say this, the meaning of the parable, the seed is the word of God. He obviously is referring to Anyone? Any idea what he's referring to? No one? Hello? Is anyone out there? The Bible? Anyone? The, yeah. Uh, so the standard answer is the Bible, of course. The Word of God is the Bible. Um, now, doctrinally speaking, I completely believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I believe it's infallible. It's inerrant. It's truth without any mixture of error. It's God-inspired. It is the Word of God, no doubt. But nowhere in the Bible does the Bible claim that it's the only Word of God. Some people will go to that passage in Revelation that says you you cannot add to or take away, but it's you cannot add or take away from this revelation. So, So we don't edit the Bible. But God was speaking long before the Bible existed. And it's not like he stopped speaking after the Bible was written. Although there are a bunch of these like ultra conservative pastors from the Gospel Coalition and such who will try to convince you that God just doesn't speak anymore. But I just want you to bear in mind that when Jesus says the seed is the word of God, when he said that the Bible didn't exist. Furthermore, whenever the Bible talks about the Word of God, it's never referring to the Bible. When it says the Word of God is sharp and active and more powerful than a two-edged sword cutting where the soul meets the spirit, it's not talking about just the Bible. Uh, There are actually two Greek words that we use for the word word. One is logos, 
And logos is a general word that is written or spoken to a large group of people. The exit sign back there is logos. You follow me? It's true. It's, it's not fallible. That is the exit and it applies to everyone in the room. But the other Greek word is rhema, R-H-E-M-A. And rhema is a word spoken to you personally. So if there were an emergency in the room and I said, I said to Brandon, Brandon, uh, go out this door. That's a word to him. That's a rhema, right? So the Bible is the logos of God. It's the written word that applies to all mankind. But this word is the rhema of God. The, the seed is the word of God spoken to you. Now, obviously, the Bible, the written Bible, is the greatest source of understanding uh, and our greatest source for the rhema of God. So, so, in other words, the Bible talks about Jesus and his um, substitutionary death for our sins. And that's the logos of God, and it applies to everyone. But one day, you came to believe the gospel. One day, you read it, or you heard it taught, or you listened to a man on TV or something, and you thought, wait a second, I'm a sinner. And I need Jesus' death to pay for my sins. Suddenly it became very personal and the logos became a rhema for you. Does that make sense? I want to respect your desire to not talk back to me. I just, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to be sensitive to your boundaries. But when I intentionally ask for a response, work with me. Does that make sense to you? Okay, great, 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 great. So what Jesus is talking about here, and I think, I think so, you know, so many people, when they read these passages in Scripture, they think, well, it's referring to the Bible, and you really are short-selling short yourself. There is so much more meaning when you realize that the Word of God here is a word spoken to you. And Jesus says this parable is about the rhema of God. Verse 12. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes to take away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. So this first group are just defeated spiritually. Their hearts are hard, their ears are deaf, they don't see or perceive anything. They hear a story like this, and they just hear it about, you know, here's a story about seeds and, and sowing and soil. Uh, they don't understand that any other level exists. Their eyes are blind and their ears are deaf. This is why if there is someone in your life, a friend, a loved one, a family member who doesn't know the Lord, the best thing you can do for them is not to bone up on your Bible verses. It's not to memorize the four spiritual laws or evangelism explosion. Uh, nobody ever came into the kingdom as a result of losing a debate no, nobody ever got argued to the cross, you know? Yeah. Oh, you know what? Um, you answered my question about the pygmies in Africa so effectively. I think I'll accept Jesus. It just never happens. No, the only way somebody comes to the Lord is that the Holy Spirit removes the scales from their eyes. That's the only reason I came. I remember the day, 
and the place that I was when as a sophomore in high school, a young life leader sat down with me at a McDonald's after a young life club and asked, talked to me about a personal, personal relationship with Jesus. And to that moment, I had never even considered such a thing. And he also told me that if Jesus was who he said he was, then I really had no choice but to follow him. And nobody had ever uh, said anything like that to me. And I just remember sitting at that, that table, scales falling off my eyes. Tears were coming to my eyes and I was trying to hold them back because I didn't want this guy to think he was getting to me. And I remember getting home and going to my bedroom and crying and I didn't even know why. I couldn't figure it out. But what was happening is God was removing the scar tissue from my heart. So if you have someone in your life who needs to know the Lord, here's, here's the best thing you can do. Pray. Pray for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit would remove the blinders, would open up their eyes and their ears and their heart, and then just love them. And God will open up an opportunity when the time is right. Um, but it, it isn't, it isn't going to come through debate because only the Holy Spirit can affect group one. Uh, and group one otherwise is, is just dead spiritually. Then group number two, <clears throat> those on the rocky ground are the ones who hear and receive the word with joy when they hear it, <clears throat> but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The second group is responsive, but they fail to implement the word in their lives. The, this group is easily inspired initially, but they fail to carry it through. These, uh, these, this group, group two, by the way, uh, I consider myself a proud car-carrying member of group two, generally. Uh, a guy given to inspiration, but not to, uh, not to follow through. If you go into uh, the house of a group twoer and you go through their closets, you will find the Ronco jerky maker, an ab machine. You'll find Ginsu knives, all sorts of things that were purchased uh, off the TV uh, during the dead of night, and then the packages arrive, and it's like, Meh, and it goes in the closet unused or used once. These people are easily inspired, but there really is no follow-through. Many years ago, I used to be significantly heavier than I am now, uh, like, uh, you know, not quite double my current size, but I, I, was, I was a big fella. And uh, I was, I was uh, overweight uh, for two reasons. One, I did not like any form of exercise or exertion. And then number two, I liked about any form of food. And especially if it were like fried or rolled in powdered sugar. So when you, when you combine those two together... Um, it puts on the calories. And so I had tried a few things and uh, just uh, in terms of exercise, but it j just didn't work. And I was, I was getting troubled by the, by the extra weight. And I read an article one day that talked about the power and the beauty of swimming as exercise. And they said in the article that if you if you swim and chew gum, you'll be using every muscle in your body. I don't know if that's true, but it made sense to me. That's a whole body exercise. And I thought to myself, 
I love frolicking in the pool. I think this could be the exercise for me. You just go splash around a little bit, have a good time. You probably don't even realize that you're working. Then you get out of the pool and you're thinner. I love it. This is a good plan. So, um, so I got really fired up. I was like, this is it. This is going to be the thing. Um, you know, I can't lift weights. That's way too much work and running too much work. But, but uh, you know, splashing around the pool, I could do that. So I went down to my local uh, um, rec center and I got a membership. And uh, I went to Walmart and got a new bathing suit to inaugurate my new exercise regimen. I imagined that years down the line, when I was half my size, I would frame my new, my new swim trunks and put them on the wall. I swam my way to better health. Um, it's, it was all perfectly laid out in my mind. So uh, the, that first Monday morning, I go to the rec center at 6.30 or so, and I walk in and I'm ready. Oh, I also got a pair of these little like Speedo goggles because that's what all the swimmers wear. And I'm gonna be a swimmer, so. So I come out into the pool with my new swimsuit um, and I look around and the pool is divided into three lanes. There's a fast lane, a medium lane, and a slow lane. Now in the medium, well, in the fast lane, there was a, uh, there was a really tall, lean African-American guy and he was just slicing through the water like a barracuda. Like it looked like very little effort. Like he was just, and I was like, so that, uh, that I'm like, well, that's gonna be me. In the medium lane, there was uh, an older guy, a guy's probably in his, uh, in his 80s or something, and he, um, and he was doing good. He was nice and steady, but not nearly as fast as the Barracuda. And, um, and he's, he was just like a grandpa type, and he looked kind of like a, I don't know, kind of like a piece of fruit wearing a Speedo, kind of just looping back and forth in the water. So I said to myself, um, well, obviously I'm faster than grandpa. Uh, I'm probably not quite as fast as Barracuda. Um, but here's what I'll do. And I'm thinking, cause you gotta, you gotta be realistic about what's possible. So I thought I'll go in the fast lane and do like 20 laps there. Then I'll move over to the medium lane, taper down. Don't do too much. That's for maybe 20 laps there. Maybe I'll close out with 10 laps in the slow lane. So start off modestly at like 50 laps. So have some of you swum before? Cause I'm hearing laughter. Yeah, yeah. I had not. Um, so I got into the fast lane and when the Barracuda went by, I went in his draft. So here I go. And then he got way ahead of me and um, I was swimming as hard as I could and about halfway down on the first lap, I start thinking to myself, this water feels thicker than I remember. It was always my recollection that water was pretty thin. This was like swimming in pudding. Uh, I was working really hard and not moving very fast. And really about halfway down the first lap, Barracuda goes by me again. Like he, he lapped me in, a half a lap. Um, and so I started, I started having evil in my heart towards Barracuda. He was showing off. So um, I finally made it to the far end 
and I pushed off and started coming back. And now on my way back, I become aware of a sensation that had never occurred to me could exist. I've never heard of this before, but I was in the water sweating. Like I could feel sweat popping off my scalp and rolling down my face and the water was providing no refreshment whatsoever. Um, and uh, I was starting to get concerned because I'm in the deep end and my arms are turning to rubber. Like I'm just kind of flopping them. And then I rolled on my back and tried to float, but I was, I was panting so hard. I was taking on water. So I rolled back on my stomach and I, every time I turn my head to breathe, I'm gasping. <gasps> and then I take water and I'm coughing and I'm coughing. And I'm like, I cannot die in the deep end of the pool on lap one. I'll never live that down. I got to get to a place where I can at least stand. And, uh, you know, my whole body was on fire. I'm just splashing it. In and I, uh, the room is spinning. And I finally make it to the end of lap one. And I was like, I have to get out of this pool. Only I had lost all muscle tension. So I would, I would try to push up and it was like, like nothing worked. And so I, I laid back and I threw a leg up and I'm trying to I like just roll up like a walrus onto the, the thing. And, and I'm coughing and panting. And you know how pools are. It reverberates everywhere. I'm making, a, I'm making quite a mess. And I, so I roll onto my knees and I'm coughing and coughing. And then I feel an incredible puke coming from the bottom of my feet. And I don't even have, I don't have intestines down there, but I just, I feel it rising up. And I was like, oh no, oh no. So I, I struggled to my feet and I'm like, uh, 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 and I stumble out of the room and I run into the locker room and I hit the ground six feet away from the toilet. And I slide up to it. And I threw up so hard that the, the pure, like, PSI, the, the, the force of the vomitous fluid hit the, hit the toilet water and splashed cold toilet water on my face, and I was so grateful. I was like, oh, thank you, God, for toilet water. It's so cold and beautiful. And at first what came out was the Hardy's biscuit I had had on the way to the gym. And that's the first time I thought, you know, maybe a Hardy's biscuit isn't the best uh, pregame for. But then it just kept coming. And I saw stuff I didn't know. Like I saw a shoe, uh, a license plate, some stuff I ate at prom in 1984. Like it just kept, just kept coming. And I would, in between, I would hold my head against that cold porcelain, thanking Jesus for cold toilets. And, and then as I was laying there panting, this voice says, you okay, young fella? And I look back, it's grandpa coming to check on me. I was like, I'm fine, old man. Leave me alone. And that was the beginning and the end of my swim career. And this happens in church all the time. Where we have a service, we preach a message, you, you 
see a Christian movie and you get moved and inspired. And sometimes we'll even call people forward. Raise your hand if you want to be closer to God. Raise your hand if you want to be more committed. Raise your hand if you want to be holy. And then people come forward and they raise their hands and it feels like, okay, that's, that's like the end of the journey. Like God just came this morning to see who all wanted to be holy. But really, that's the beginning of the journey. That, that, that revelation, that inspiration is supposed to be the start of something and it should be followed by, okay, so what now? What do we do now? The problem with these group twos is that over time, they get inspired and disappointed, inspired and disappointed, and they can become uninspirable. They can become cynical. They, they still come to church or they still read their Bible, but it becomes very nearly impossible to convince them that God wants to do something new and fresh in them. It's hard to get them to bite if you've been in group two for very long. Group three, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. The third group actually walk with God for a season, but they're lured away by other things. And these, by the way, are the most miserable people on earth. They've seen enough of God to know that it's real. They've been to the mountain, and now they're not walking with him. And it produces a unique kind of misery. This can come because of disappointments. Like you walk with God for a season, and then he doesn't do what you want or expect him to do. Or he does things that you don't understand. It can come from discouragement with God or with other people. Um, you know, people, people in church are just people and they, they bring with them all the, all the frailties of humanity. It's just that when you're in church, you don't expect it. And so when people go people on you, it's really disappointing. It's really frustrating. I think church hurt is one of the most profound hurts you can experience. Very difficult to recover from because it's tied to God and who he is. And a lot of people just peace out because they get hurt by people in church. You can get derailed by personal failure, by sin. You can't seem to quite overcome. Here's the difficulty. Hebrews 1, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 6 says it this way. <clears throat> Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God instruction about cleansing rites and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks the rain, often falling on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. James talked about this in terms of being double-minded. 
And uh, in, here's, what, here's what James says about this. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. These people are the ultimate in instability. Uh, they've, they've come too far to deny the reality of who Christ is, but they've gotten sidelined. And then the fourth group, the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So the, the fourth group listens successfully and they reproduce. Uh, notice here that it's not enough to hear. It's not enough to respond. It's not enough to implement temporarily, but it has to find its way into your life. And the difference between group one, two, three, and group four, according to Jesus, is how they listen. That's what this parable is all about. And then he goes on in verse 16, 18, to, to really break down this. Now, here's, here's a thing that's frustrating for me. Like, if you have a printed Bible, you'll see a break. Like, parable of the sower, then you'll get a different heading. But this is not a different heading. This is the same moment, the same thing. Jesus has not changed topics. It is not several days later. Uh, so I want you to read these next verses, realizing that they all refer back to this parable of the sower. Here's what he says. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen, right? So it's bookended. He starts off saying, be, be careful how you hear or those who have ears, let them hear. And he tells this parable and then he says, so therefore, be careful how you listen. Whoever has will be given more and whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. So this is a really confusing uh, kind of summum bonum at the end of this teaching. Uh, the first thing he says, and it's a remarkable thing coming from Jesus, he said, there is nothing that's hidden that will not be revealed. He says, if you become a good practitioner of listening to the word of the Lord, remember the seed is the word of God, the rhema word of God. If you become an effective practitioner of listening to and obeying the word of God, then there is nothing he will not reveal to you. I know you've read this before, but have you considered the reality of that? Like, is that really possible? I'm, I'm, I came all the way from Virginia Beach to tell you this. It absolutely is. God knows all things and for people who will listen to him with a view to obey, he will reveal the secrets they need to know. He knows where the economy is going. He knows where the industry is going. He knows the obstacles that are coming up in the life of Graceland Church. He knows the things you're going to be facing, the people that are difficult that you're having to deal with. He knows the secrets of their hearts and he'll reveal it all to you, which would be absurd for me to say, but I'm just reading what Jesus said. Can we go back and look at that verse real quick? I think, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought into the open. 
There is nothing off limits for you if you learn the principles of the parable of the sower as a listener. Then he says this very perplexing thing in the next verse. Consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more and whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Now, this is difficult to understand because it sounds so fundamentally unchristian. I mean, it seems crazy that Jesus would be saying something so unchristian. Like, it's, it, I, you almost feel like he got the words t- turned around because what it should say is to him who has, some will be taken and given to him who has not. That's what it feels like it should say, but it doesn't say that. It says, to who, him who has, more will be given, and to him who has not, what he thinks he has will be taken away. That doesn't sound right. Except, the topic being discussed here, <clears throat> in terms of him who has and him who has not, the topic at hand is what? I heard somebody say it. Who said the word of God? I'm buying you coffee, sir, whoever you were. So the topic here is the word of God. So Jesus is saying, in terms of the revelation of God, in terms of the supernatural revealing of his word, the rhema of God, him who has will get more and him who doesn't have will get less. Okay, so here's how this works. This is kind of the, the crescendo of Christ's teaching on this matter. And it's, it's always crazy to me when I hear this taught and they never get to this verse because this is the key that unlocks the whole parable. Yeah, and I'm sure you've heard it too. You've heard pastors preach and they describe all the different kinds of soil and they draw all the analogies, but, and that's fine, but that's not the teaching. Here, this is the teaching. Now, let's say we're not talking about the word of God, but we're talking about money. Let's say that I have a million dollars to invest, okay? And I have two options to invest it. And I'm, I'm gonna say Brandon uh, is one and Nathan is another, okay? And I'm gonna say that Brandon has a history of losing money. Most of what people invest with him gets lost. He'll occasionally have a win, but he's mostly a loser. Um, Let's say that Nathan always produces a return on his money, 15, 18, 20% when they invest with him. You look at his, his, uh, his portfolio over time, it's just a line that goes from bottom left to upper right, just keeps climbing, keeps climbing, keeps climbing. If I'm a savvy investor, where am I putting my million dollars? Are you all afraid to talk? Is, have you been beaten? Who hurt you? Who hurt you? If I'm a savvy investor, where am I gonna put my money? I'm gonna put it in with Nathan, right? That's the logical thing to do. And when I do that, get this now, stay with me. When I do that, now, now, now Nathan is already successful. He, his portfolio is huge. Brandon's is shrinking. When I invest with Nathan, him who has will get more. And him who has not, well, he'll lose even that which he has because good investors won't invest with him. 
So his future is doomed. And his future is bright because he's going to continue to attract investors. Everyone with me? Okay. Now, if I and you are smart enough to understand that principle with what's valuable to us, money, consider God who views his word as the most valuable thing in all of creation. This is not a parable about seed or soil. This is a parable about the stewardship of God and how he stewards his word. And he so values his revelation that he will not scatter seed on soil that will never produce a crop. He will not pour revelation knowledge. He will not give words and wisdom and insight and understanding to people who have no intention of obeying. To people who are tourists in the kingdom, just looking for the sights and the sounds and maybe a quick high five. He has no interest in that at all. So he says to you and me, be careful how you Listen, because to him who has, more will be given. And to him who has not, even that which he has will be taken away. It means that the key to you being able to hear the voice of the Lord is not you being more spiritual. It's not about you fasting and praying. It's not about the sin in your life or out of your life. The most significant thing that you can do to hear from the Lord is to be obedient to what he told you. So the question is, what's the last thing he told you? And are you being obedient? If you're not, then don't be frustrated or discouraged that he's not speaking. There are people hearing this word who... God told you to end a relationship and you're negotiating. You know what you're supposed to do, but you're, you're, you're holding out. You're waiting, hoping he'll change his mind or the other person will come around and become a better person or whatever it is. You're just holding out. You know, when so, I've learned in church work that when someone says to me, uh, well, Pastor Gary, the Lord's really dealing with me on this or that issue. I, I've come to understand that to mean, uh, you know, Pastor Gary, uh, the Lord has spoken to me and I'm trying to cut a deal. Not gonna work. Some of you, God has told you to restore a relationship. There's a fracture. There needs to be forgiveness and restoration and you're dragging your heels. You don't wanna do it. God's told you to give and you're holding out until you have more. God's told you to serve and you're waiting until you have more free time. It, listen, God doesn't buy into any of that. I, you know, I've come to the conclusion that in my spiritual life, the only thing that exists is obedience and disobedience. The rest of it is noise. The rest of it is just noise. 
So when you listen to the word of God, when you come and you listen to these teachings, you have to come, first of all, believing that God will speak and then prepared to implement what he says. So that means you're not leaned back in your chair, hoping that, you know, Gary can tell a funny story. You're coming, you're on the edge of your seat. Some of you need to go out today to Barnes Noble and buy a little notebook. And, you know, I tell my congregation all the time, if you, if you don't have a pen in your hand, you're not listening. It, it, listen, if I told you tonight, I was going to be giving you information about investing that could triple your portfolio, you would come prepared to take notes. You would want to know where the websites were and what the, what the metrics were and, and uh, you know, what my percentages are. We need something like that active in our hearts spiritually, where we come to church craving, expecting to hear from God and prepared to implement what he says. Not being recreational listeners, but being active listeners. And Jesus himself gives us this advice. Be careful how you listen. Because there are three groups of people, the vast majority, who receive the same word and produce bupkis. There is one category of people who implement and they experience fruitfulness and they are the ones who have learned how to listen. How significant (coughs) is this? Well, look at the next verse. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. And he, who just finished this teaching, just finished it, said to them, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. He wasn't dissing his natural mom, but he was saying, this is far more important And the ones I consider my brothers and my mother are the people who hear the word of God and implement it. They put it into practice. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And I'm sorry we've gone long today. Occupational hazard, Gary Spell, sorry. Um, Can I tell you something... uh, and you, and you can stand with me. We're going we're to close. Um, I want to tell you something um, kind of unusual and really um, kind of, uh, oh, what's the word? It's like uh, counterintuitive about the word of God when he speaks. See, you would think it would be natural for us to expect that when God speaks, that would stick with you, right? You would think if God spoke to you, that's the kind of thing that would stay with you. But so much of the kingdom of God is counterintuitive. And here's what we see over and over and over again in scripture, and you've seen this in your life as well. It actually turns out that the word of God is quite perishable in your heart. Now, the written word of God is not perishable. The Bible, that endures forever. But you'll also note that that's written down. And so what happens is you'll be in a service like this and God will speak to you. And you think to yourself that you'll remember this when you get home. 
You think it'll stick with you, but it, it won't. It doesn't. The Word of God is sharp and active and powerful, and it is intended to be obeyed immediately. And if you don't, it disappears like cotton candy. And, and uh, the, the evidence is available to you today. Some of you will go home and you'll talk to someone. You'll say, oh, man, this guy who spoke at church today, uh, he, he went really long, but he was good. And he, it was really powerful. He's talking about the word of God. And it's, they'll say, well, what, what was it that impacted you? And you'll be like, um, well, so it's about the parable of the sower. And he told a funny story about swimming. And you'll have difficulty connecting the dots. You'll remember the impact but you won't remember the content so well. And tomorrow, you'll remember less. And by Wednesday, you won't be able to recall a single thing I said. It's true. The best sermons I've ever heard, I don't remember anymore. So, when God speaks to me, I write it down. I document it. Which is why during worship, I was writing on my phone so furiously because he was speaking to me about all you guys and I'm making notes. I don't want it to slip through my fingers because I won't remember it. I just know. So I strongly advise you to come to these services with a heart that is calibrated to obey, prepared to make notes, document what God is speaking to you. Deal? Thank you for that response. That was beautiful. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for our time together today. I'm so grateful for this church. I thank you for Pastor Nathan. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would superintend our time together. Um, Holy Spirit, uh, open our eyes. Unstop our ears. Help us to hear and receive from you. In Jesus' name.